Section 34 of Rudder Grange. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rudder Grange by Frank R. Stockton. Chapter 17. In which we take a vacation and look for David Dutton. Part 2. We looked at each other. We agreed. Here was a chance for a rare good time. It might be better, perhaps, than anything we had expected. The bargain was struck. Mrs. Carson, who seemed vested with all the necessary powers of attorney, appeared to be perfectly satisfied with our trustworthiness, and when I paid on the spot the small sum she thought proper for two weeks' rent, she evidently considered she had done a very good thing for Dave Dutton and herself. "'I'll just put some bread and eggs and coffee and pork and things in a basket, and I'll have em took up for you with your trunk, and I'll go with you and take some milk.' "'Here, Danny,' she cried, and directly her husband, a long, thin, sunburnt, sandy-headed man, appeared, and to him she told in a few words our story, and ordered him to hitch up the cart and be ready to take our trunk and the basket up to Dutton's old place. When all was ready we walked up the hill, followed by Danny and the cart. We found the house a large, low, old-fashioned farmhouse, standing near the road with a long piazza in front, and a magnificent view of the mountain-tops in rear. Within, the lower rooms were large and low, with quite a good deal of furniture in them. There was no earthly reason why we should not be perfectly jolly and comfortable here. The more we saw, the more delighted we were at the odd experience we were about to have. Mrs. Carson busied herself in getting things in order for our supper and general accommodation. She made Danny carry our trunk to a bedroom in the second story, and then set him to work building a fire in a great fireplace with a crane for the kettle. When she had done all she could, it was nearly dark, and after lighting a couple of candles, she left us to go home and get supper for her own family. As she and Danny were about to depart in the cart, she ran back to ask us if we would like to borrow a dog. "'There ain't nothing to be afeard of,' she said, "'for nobody hardly ever takes the trouble to lock their doors in this part, but being city folks, I thought you might feel better if you had a dog.' We made haste to tell her that we were not city folks, but declined the dog. Indeed, Euphemia remarked that she would be much more afraid of a strange dog than of robbers. After supper, which we enjoyed as much as any meal we ever ate in our lives, we each took a candle, and after arranging our bedroom for the night, we explored the old house. There were lots of curious things everywhere, things that were apparently so old-timey, as my wife remarked, that David Dutton did not care to take them with him to his new farm and so he left them for his son, who probably cared for them even less than his father did. There was a garret extending over the whole house, and filled with old spinning-wheels and strings of onions and all sorts of antiquated bric-a-brac, which was so fascinating to me that I could scarcely tear myself away from it. But Euphemia, who was dreadfully afraid that I would set the whole place on fire, at length prevailed on me to come down. We slept soundly that night, in what was probably the best bedroom of the house, and awoke with a feeling that we were about to enter on a period of some uncommon kind of jollity, which we found to be true when we went down to get breakfast. I made the fire, Euphemia made the coffee, and Mrs. Carson came with cream and some fresh eggs. The good woman was in high spirits. She was evidently pleased at the idea of having neighbors, temporary though they were, and it had probably been a long time since she had had such a chance of selling milk, eggs, and sundries. It was almost the same as opening a country store. We bought groceries and everything of her. We had a glorious time that day. We were just starting out for a mountain stroll when our stage driver came along on his down trip. "'Hello,' he called out. "'Want to go back this morning?' 
"'Not a bit of it,' I cried. "'We won't go back for a couple of weeks. We've settled here for the present.' The man smiled. He didn't seem to understand it exactly, but he was evidently glad to see us so well satisfied. If he had had time to stop and have the matter explained to him, he would probably have been better satisfied, but as it was, he waved his whip to us and drove on. He was a good fellow. We strolled all day, having locked up the house and taken our lunch with us, and when we came back it seemed really like coming home. Mrs. Carson, with whom we had left the key, had brought the milk and was making the fire. This woman was too kind. We determined to try and repay her in some way. After a splendid supper we went to bed happy. The next day was a repetition of this one, but the day after it rained. So we determined to enjoy the old tavern, and we rummaged about everywhere. I visited the garret again, and we went to the old barn, with its mows half full of hay, and had rare times climbing about there. We were delighted that it happened to rain. In a woodshed near the house I saw a big square board with letters on it. I examined the board, and found it was a sign, a hanging sign, and on it was painted letters that were yet quite plain. Farmers and Mechanics Hotel. I called to Euphemia and told her that I had found the old tavern sign. She came to look at it, and I pulled it out. Soldiers and sailors, she exclaimed, that's funny. I looked over on her side of the sign, and sure enough there was the inscription, Soldiers and Sailors House. They must have bought this comprehensive sign in some town, I said. Such a name would never have been chosen for a country tavern like this. But I wish they hadn't taken it down. The house would look more like what it ought, with its sign hanging before it. Well, then, said Euphemia, let's put it up. I agreed instantly to this proposition, and we went to look for a ladder. We found one in the wagon-house, and carried it out to the signpost in the front of the house. It was raining gently during these performances, but we had on our old clothes, and were so much interested in our work that we did not care for a little rain. I carried the sign to the post, and then, at the imminent risk of breaking my neck, I hung it on its appropriate hooks on the transverse beam of the signpost. Now our tavern was really what it pretended to be. We gazed on the sign with admiration and content. "'Do you think we had better keep it up all the time?' I asked of my wife. "'Certainly,' said she. "'It's part of the house. The place isn't complete without it.' "'But suppose someone should come along and want to be entertained?' "'But no one will. And if people do come, I'll take care of the soldiers and sailors, if you will attend to the farmers and mechanics.' I consented to this, and we went indoors to prepare dinner. End of section 34